0: introduction and preface of frankenstein or the modern prometheus this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org frankenstein or the modern prometheus by mary Wollstonecraft shelley introduction and preface introduction the publishers of the standard novels In selecting frankenstein for one of their series expressed a wish that i should furnish them with some account of the origin of the story i am the more willing to comply because i shall thus give a general answer to the question so very frequently asked me how i when a young girl came to think of and to dilate upon so very hideous an idea it is true that i am very averse to bringing myself forward in print but as my account will only appear as an appendage to a former production, and as it will be confined to such topics as have connection with my authorship alone, I can scarcely accuse myself of a personal intrusion. It is not singular that as the daughter of two persons of distinguished literary celebrity I should very early in life have thought of writing." As a child I scribbled, and my favorite pastime during the hours given me for recreation was to write stories. Still, I had a dearer pleasure than this, which was the formation of castles in the air, the indulging in waking dreams, the following up trains of thought which had for their subject the formation of a succession of imaginary incidents my dreams were at once more fantastic and agreeable than my writings in the latter i was a close imitator rather doing as others had done than putting down the suggestions of my own mind what i wrote was intended at least for one other eye my childhood's companion and friend but my dreams were all my own i accounted for them to nobody they were my refuge when annoyed my dearest pleasure when free i lived principally in the country as a girl and passed a considerable time in scotland i made occasional visits to the more picturesque parts but my habitual residence was on the blank and dreary northern shores of the tay near dundee blank and dreary on retrospection i call them they were not so to me then they were the eerie of freedom and the pleasant region where unheeded I could commune with the creatures of my fancy i wrote then but in a most commonplace style it was beneath the trees of the grounds belonging to our house or on the bleak sides of the woodless mountains near that my true compositions the airy flights of my imagination were born and fostered i did not make myself the heroine of my tales Life appeared to me too commonplace an affair as regarded myself. I could not figure to myself that romantic woes or wonderful events would ever be my lot, but I was not confined to my own identity, and I could people the hours with creations far more interesting to me, at that age, than my own sensations. After this my life became busier, and reality stood in place of fiction. "'My husband, however, was from the first very anxious "'that I should prove myself worthy of my parentage "'and enroll myself on the page of fame. "'He was for ever inciting me to obtain literary reputation, "'which even on my own part I cared for then, "'though since I have become infinitely indifferent to it. "'At this time he desired that I should write,' not so much with the idea that I could produce anything worthy of notice, but that he might himself judge how far I possessed the promise of better things hereafter. Still, I did nothing. Travelling, and the cares of a family occupied my time, and study in the way of reading or improving my ideas in communication with his far more cultivated mind, was all of literary employment that engaged my attention.' in the summer of eighteen sixteen we visited switzerland and became the neighbors of lord byron at first we spent our pleasant hours on the lake or wandering on its shores and lord byron who was writing the third canto of *Child herald was the only one among us who put his thoughts upon paper these as he brought them successively to us clothed in all the light and harmony of poetry seemed to stamp as divine the glories of heaven and earth whose influences we partook with him but it proved a wet ungenial summer an incessant rain often confined us for days to the house some volumes of ghost stories translated from the german into french fell into our hands there was the history of the inconstant lover who when he thought to clasp the bride to whom he had pledged his vows "'found himself in the arms of the pale ghost of her whom he had deserted. "'There was the tale of the sinful founder of his race, "'whose miserable doom it was to bestow the kiss of death "'on all the younger sons of his fated house "'just when they reached the age of promise. "'His gigantic shadowy form, "'clothed like the ghost in Hamlet in complete armor, "'but with the beaver up, was seen at midnight.' by the moon's fitful beams to advance slowly along the gloomy avenue the shape was lost beneath the shadow of the castle walls but soon a gate swung back a step was heard the door of the chamber opened and he advanced to the couch of the blooming youths cradled in healthy sleep eternal sorrow sat upon his face as he bent down and kissed the forehead of the boys "'who from that hour withered like flowers snapped upon the stalk. "'I have not seen these stories since then, "'but their incidents are as fresh in my mind as if I had read them yesterday.' "'We will each write a ghost story,' said Lord Byron, "'and his proposition was acceded to. "'There were four of us. "'The noble author began a tale, "'a fragment of which he printed at the end of his poem of Mazeppa.' Shelley, more apt to embody ideas and sentiments in the radiance of brilliant imagery, and in the music of the most melodious verse that adorns our language, than to invent the machinery of a story, commenced one founded on the experiences of his early life. Poor Pilodori had some terrible idea about a skull-headed lady, who was so punished for peeping through a keyhole—what to see, I forget— something very shocking and wrong, of course. But when she was reduced to a worse condition than the renowned Tom of Coventry, he did not know what to do with her, and was obliged to dispatch her to the tomb of the Capulets, the only place for which she was fitted. The illustrious poets, also annoyed by the platitude of prose, speedily relinquished their uncongenial task. I busied myself to think of a story, a story to rival those which had excited us to this task, one which would speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling horror, one to make the reader dread to look round, to curdle the blood and quicken the beatings of the heart. If I did not accomplish these things, my ghost story would be unworthy of its name. I thought, and pondered, vainly i felt that blank incapability of invention which is the greatest misery of authorship when dull nothing replies to our anxious invocations have you thought of a story i was asked each morning and each morning i was forced to reply with a mortifying negative everything must have a beginning to speak in santian phrase and that beginning must be linked to something that went before. The Hindus give the world an elephant to support it, but they make the elephant stand upon a tortoise. Invention, it must be humbly admitted, does not consist in creating out of void, but out of chaos. The materials must, in the first place, be afforded. It can give form to dark, shapeless substances, but cannot bring into being the substance itself. In all matters of discovery and invention, even of those that appertain to the imagination, we are continually reminded of the story of Columbus and his egg. Invention consists in the capability of seizing on the capabilities of a subject, and in the power of molding and fashioning ideas suggested to it many and long were the conversations between lord byron and shelley to which i was a devout but nearly silent listener during one of these various philosophical doctrines were discussed and among others the nature of the principle of life and whether there was any probability of its ever being discovered and communicated they talked of the experiments of dr darwin I speak not of what the doctor really did or said that he did, but as more to my purpose, of what was then spoken of as having been done by him, who preserved a piece of vermicelli in a glass case, till by some extraordinary means it began to move with voluntary motion. Not thus, after all, would life be given. Perhaps a corpse would be reanimated, galvanism had given token of such things perhaps the component parts of a creature might be manufactured brought together and endued with vital warmth night waned upon this talk and even the witching hour had gone by before we retired to rest when i placed my head on my pillow i did not sleep nor could i be said to think my imagination unbidden possessed and guided me gifting the successive images that arose in my mind with a vividness far beyond the usual bounds of reverie. I saw, with shut eyes but acute mental vision, I saw the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then... "'on the working of some powerful engine "'show signs of life "'and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. "'Frightful must it be, "'for supremely frightful would be the effect "'of any human endeavor to mock "'the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. "'His success would terrify the artist. "'He would rush away from his odious handiwork, "'horror-stricken.' He would hope that, left to itself, the slight spark of life which he had communicated would fade, that this thing which had received such imperfect animation would subside into dead matter, and he might sleep in the belief that the silence of the grave would quench forever the transient existence of the hideous corpse which he had looked upon as the cradle of life. He sleeps but he is awakened he opens his eyes behold the horrid thing stands at his bedside opening his curtains and looking on him with yellow watery but speculative eyes i opened mine in terror the idea so possessed my mind that a thrill of fear ran through me and i wished to exchange the ghastly image of my fancy for the realities around i see them still the very room the dark parquet the closed shutters with the moonlight struggling through and the sense i had that the glassy lake and white high alps were beyond i could not so easily get rid of my hideous phantom still it haunted me i must try to think of something else i recurred to my ghost story my tiresome, unlucky ghost story. Oh, if I could only contrive one which would frighten my reader, as I myself had been frightened that night. Swift as light and as cheering was the idea that broke in upon me. I have found it. What terrified me will terrify others, and I need only describe the spectre which had haunted my midnight pillow. On the morrow I announced that I had thought, Of a story i began that day with the words it was on a dreary night of november making only a transcript of the grim terrors of my waking dream at first i thought but of a few pages of a short tale but shelley urged me to develop the idea at greater length i certainly did not owe the suggestion of one incident nor scarcely of one train of feeling to my husband and yet but for his incitement it would never have taken the form in which it was presented to the world from this declaration i must accept the preface as far as i can recollect it was entirely written by him and now once again i bid my hideous progeny go forth and prosper i have an affection for it for it was the offspring of happy days when death and grief were but words which found no true echo in my heart its several pages speak of many a walk many a drive and many a conversation when i was not alone and my companion was one who in this world i shall never see more but this is for myself my readers have nothing to do with these associations I will add but one word as to the alterations i have made they are principally those of style i have changed no portion of the story nor introduced any new ideas or circumstances i have mended the language where it was so bald as to interfere with the interest of the narrative and these changes occur almost exclusively in the beginning of the first volume throughout they are entirely confined to such parts as are mere adjuncts to the story leaving the core and substance of it untouched m w s london october fifteenth eighteen thirty one preface the event on which this fiction is founded has been supposed by dr darwin and some of the physiological writers of germany as not of impossible occurrence i shall not be supposed as according the remotest degree of serious faith to such an imagination yet in assuming it as the basis of a work of fancy i have not considered myself as merely weaving a series of supernatural terrors the event on which the interest of the story depends is exempt from the disadvantages of a mere tale of spectres or enchantment it was recommended by the novelty of the situations which it develops, and, however impossible as a physical fact, affords a point of view to the imagination for the delineating of human passions more comprehensive and commanding than any which the ordinary relations of existing events can yield. I have thus endeavored to preserve the truth of the elementary principles of human nature, while i have not scrupled to innovate upon their combinations the iliad the tragic poetry of greece shakespeare in the tempest and midsummer night's dream and most especially milton in paradise lost conform to this rule and the most humble novelist who seeks to confer or receive amusement from his labours may without presumption apply to prose fiction a license or rather a rule from the adoption of which so many exquisite combinations of human feeling have resulted in the highest specimens of poetry the circumstance on which my story rests was suggested in casual conversation it was commenced partly as a source of amusement and partly as an expedient for exercising any untried resources of mind other motives were mingled with these As the work proceeded, I am by no means indifferent to the manner in which whatever moral tendencies exist in the sentiments or characters it contains shall affect the reader. Yet my chief concern in this respect has been limited to the avoiding the enervating effects of the novels of the present day, and to the exhibition of the amiableness of domestic affectation and the excellence of universal virtue the opinions which naturally spring from the character and situation of the hero are by no means to be conceived as existing always in my own conviction nor is any inference justly to be drawn from the following pages as prejudicing any philosophical doctrine of whatever kind it is a subject also of additional interest to the author that this story was begun in the majestic region where the scene is principally laid and in society which cannot cease to be regretted. I passed the summer of 1816 in the environs of Geneva. The season was cold and rainy, and in the evenings we crowded around a blazing wood fire, and occasionally amused ourselves with some German stories of ghosts which happened to fall into our hands. These tales excited in us a playful desire of imitation. To other friends a tale from the pen of one of whom would be far more acceptable to the public than anything I can ever hope to produce, and myself agreed to write each a story founded on some supernatural occurrence. The weather, however, suddenly became serene, and my two friends left me on a journey among the Alps, and lost in the magnificent scenes which they present all memory of their ghostly visions. The following tale... Is the only one which has been completed. Marlow, September, eighteen seventeen. End of the Introduction and Preface, Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.